And good morning. Good morning. Let's turn to the Gospel of John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Let's turn to John. That'll be our jumping off place this morning. We're going to think about blessed assurance for sure. Blessed assurance. We're going to notice in particular four convictions we can have. Four convictions about salvation that we can have. So blessed assurance Four convictions about salvation. You know, doubt is all around us. It was around even in Jesus' day. Sometimes the storms of life bring us doubt. We see this physically with Peter as he was out there on that water, Matthew 14. Peter was out on that water with Jesus and began to look around. The storm began to sink. Jesus asked him, why, oh you little faith, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? Well, it's easier to, it's easy to fall into these times of doubt when the storms of life. It's, in Jesus' day also, they were doubting because of so much false teaching. Jesus says in Matthew 7, 15, to beware of false teachers. Uh, they, they're going to appear good, but inwardly they're, they're ravening wolves and and we hear things today, we, we're hearing things today that um, we know that are so wrong, but they are, they're almost anti-natural they're so wrong. And that can cause us uh, to doubt. But against this doubt, we can look at four convictions concerning salvation. And I want us to do that for a few minutes uh, together. First of all, we can be convicted that Jesus is the only way to salvation. John 14, verse 6. You know this verse. If you wake a Christian up in the middle of the night, they're going to be able to tell you about John 14, verse 6, where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes unto the Father except uh, through me. There's a lot about Jesus being our Savior found here in the Gospel of John. John 3, uh, 17 John 3, 17, Jesus said, God uh, did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. That's exactly right. Jesus came to save. John chapter 10 and verse 9, Jesus tells us that I am the door of the sheep. If any enters by me, he will be saved. And he'll be able to come and go, come in and out and find Peace and pasture. Okay. I love this statement in John 4 42, where Jesus had been in Samaria. John 4 42, Jesus has been in Samaria and he has been talking with a woman at Jacob's well, but she had gone back to her village and now the village people are saying to her, they come up to the woman, John 4 42, and they say, We, we believe not because of what you're saying, but we have heard for ourselves and we know indeed that this is the Savior of the world. Now why do we emphasize such a point? Let me give you four reasons before we move on. When we think about Jesus as the only path to salvation, think about four reasons why we need to emphasize this. First of all, it shapes our minds. It shapes our minds. Jesus is both exclusive and inclusive. You know, 
John 3.16, everyone who, who believes in the Son can have everlasting life. Okay. But as Jesus says in John 14, verse 6, you've got to follow me. You've got to follow the way, the truth, the life. No way of getting to the Father except through me. And so Jesus is both, both exclusive to those who will not follow him, but he's inclusive to anyone in the world who would want to come and follow him. We find this theme being projected by those preaching in the book of Acts as well. Acts 4 verse 12, Peter says, there's salvation with, with no other person than Jesus, Acts 4 verse 12. Salvation is found in no other. There's no other name given among men under heaven whereby we must uh, be saved. And mark this verse also, and then we'll move on. 1 Timothy 4 and verse 10, Paul says, For this reason we labor and we strive, because we have our hopes set on, on the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially those who believe. And so it shapes our hearts, you see, to understand that Jesus is both inclusive and exclusive. He, he's the Savior of all men, but in particular, those who believe and obey. Okay. That's why we emphasize this point. We emphasize this point also because Jesus is the only one qualified to lead us to salvation. He, he's the Son of God, as you know. He's the Son of God. He came to this life and, and, and He lived the perfect life and He, he was willing to go uh, to the cross and endure the cross and He's willing to fulfill His promises he established the church as he said he would. And so because of who he is and what he has done, Jesus, the only one, he's the only one qualified. We, we can't put our eternal souls in the hands of anybody else but Jesus. We know this in life, that if you have a breakdown at, in a car or a house, you want someone qualified. If you've got a gas leak, you've got a water leak, you've got an electrical problem, okay, and you don't know what you're doing. You need someone qualified to handle this because uh, these, these can be dire consequences. Well, the most dire consequence of all is, is how we handle our soul. What is our eternal outlook? What does our eternal life look like? What is our eternal destiny? Well, we need someone qualified to handle that. And he is, Jesus is the only one qualified. That's why we make this first emphasis that he's the only path to salvation. And we make this emphasis, emphasis also in the third place because um, if you start wrong, everything else goes wrong. Jesus is the beginning of everything. He really is. But in any quest, if you start wrong, everything else goes wrong. I learned this when I first started. Uh, I guess as you get older, you start thinking more about your boyhood. But I, I remember... Uh, when I first was allowed to, to get myself dressed for school and even for church. Okay. And so, you know, when you're buttoning your shirt, if you start out wrong buttoning your shirt, it never gets better on down, right? If you, if you miss the first hole with the button, you get it in the wrong hole. And I would come out of my room and I would look at, and I'm ready to go to church and my shirt would be like this, you know. If you start out wrong, Everything else goes wrong. Jesus is the beginning. You know, we read in Revelation 22, 
13, that he is the Alpha and the Omega. Uh, he is the first and the last. He is the beginning and the end. Mark begins his gospel. The gospel of Mark begins by talking about uh, that this is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Jesus was at the beginning of this world, but he's the beginning of our faith as well. And so our first major conviction here is that Jesus is the only path to salvation. And we make this emphasis because he's the only one qualified to lead us there. And um, it helps to shape our hearts and minds and it gives us the right beginning. And then a fourth reason that Jesus, we make this emphasis is um, because it explains controversy. Jesus was a controversial person. He, he ran into trouble this way and that. It is because of his emphasis on salvation. You know, I ran into an interview the other day on uh, somewhere of Elon Musk, and they, they asked him this question. He asked, what do you think about Jesus? What do you think about Jesus? And right away he said, well, I like what he says about praying for your enemies. I like what he says about uh, doing good to others and turning the other cheek. But he wasn't so sure about the rest, rest of it. Well, if Jesus had only said those things, if Jesus had only expressed ideals that would help to make life better now, then he would have never had any controversy. They would have never sent him to the cross. But Jesus came as the Son of God and he came to bring salvation. He came to deal with sin. And that's where the controversy is. For an example of this, in John 8, verse 36, Jesus makes this statement. John 8, 36. If the Son makes you free, come out himself, Son, S-O-N. If, if the Son makes you free, then you are free indeed. And you see there in John 8, Jesus had been talking about sin. In John 8, 34, he says, whoever commits sin becomes a slave of sin. Okay. But he says, I've got the truth. I am the truth and truth shall make you free. John 8, 32. But the Jews were saying, look, why, why are you talking about this freedom? We've never been in bondage uh, to anyone. But Jesus is explaining to them that sin has put them in bondage. He even goes on in John 8, 44. He says, you are of your father, the devil. And the devil sins from the beginning. He's the father of liars. He lied from the beginning. And, and you're lying like the devil. You're following lies that the devil has told you. And so Jesus is dealing with their sin. And then at the end of John 8, John 8, 59, they're taking up stones and they're trying to kill him. And so we make this emphasis, first of all, Jesus is the only path. We're convicted that he's the only path to salvation. And when we look at this, we say, well, that explains the controversy that surrounds him. That explains the, the fact that we've got to be on the right beginning. We've got to start right. Jesus is the way to start right. It shapes our hearts and minds, and so here we go. The second conviction about salvation that we want to express uh, this morning is that everybody needs salvation. That's our second conviction. Not only that Jesus is the only path to salvation, but everybody needs salvation, especially good people. Even good people need salvation. We, in the Gospel of John, we see uh, several good people, like Nicodemus. 
John 3, 1 and 2, he came to Jesus by night and he said to Jesus, we know that you're a teacher from God. No man could do these signs except that, um, that God is with him. And, and these weren't just words for Nicodemus. Later, John 7, 50 and 51, Nicodemus is standing up for Jesus. Later, John 19, 38 and 39, Nicodemus, along with Joseph of Arimathea, another good person, uh, they were preparing uh, Jesus' body for burial. Okay. But Nicodemus being a good person, Joseph of Arimathea being a good person, even though they're good people, they still had sin and they needed the Lord. There's a dominant thought that is out in the world that hardly anyone that we know is going to do anything bad enough to miss heaven. Okay, that's kind of the dominant thought and you know it. You know it. The thought is out there that no one is going to do something bad enough to miss heaven. Okay. This guy is the nicest guy on the block. If this guy or this girl, if, if they're not going to heaven, no one is going to heaven. This guy will give you the shirt off his back. We hear these and it's a dominant thought out there that pretty much if you're good, if you're good hearted, you've got good deeds then there's no way you can miss heaven. I think God knew that this would be a dominant thought. That's why so many of the, so many of the dealings in the New Testament are with good people. Okay. Such as, you remember the rich young ruler that Jesus met. One recording of this is in Matthew 19, beginning in verse 16. This rich young ruler came to Jesus and wanting to know what shall I do to inherit eternal life and they begin to talk about the Old Testament commandments and the ruler said well I've kept all these from my youth up what do I lack now Jesus said well here's what you lack go sell all that you have give it to the poor you'll be rich toward God and then come and follow me but the guy went away sad because he had a great possessions what did Jesus do with this good person well, he brought him face to face with his sin. Oh, there was a lot of sin that this rich young ruler had not been part of, but he still had sin. One sin that he had was he was too attached to his possessions. Another sin that he had was he was not sacrificial with the goods that he had. So Jesus brought him face to face with his sin. The ruler looked to himself in as much and said, well, I don't think I love God like I thought I loved God. I thought I loved God, but now this man is making me look squarely at myself and maybe I don't love God like I thought I did. And the interesting thing here in Matthew 19, if you keep reading, is the reaction of Jesus' disciples because Jesus looked to his disciples, Matthew 19, 24 and 25, he said, how hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And then the disciples, it says in verse 25, they were exceedingly astonished. They were exceedingly astonished, Matthew 19, 25. They were exceedingly astonished that Jesus would confront this good man with the sin that he had in his life. They were exceedingly astonished that Jesus would so confront him, him being such a good person. And they asked him, they said, well then who can be saved, Jesus? 
And then here comes the statement, Matthew 19, 26. He said, with men it is impossible, but not with God. With God, all things are possible. Everybody needs salvation, even good people. We see this little uh, ideal expressed in the book of Acts. So many in the book of Acts who come to Jesus for forgiveness, who come in repentance and, and are baptized, are all, were already good people. Acts 2 verse 5, those assembled on Pentecost. They were definitely confused about why, who Jesus was and why he had to die on the cross. But they were devout people. They were devout people. Otherwise, other than being confused about Jesus, they were devout. They were honest. They were living according to the law of Moses, which would make you a good person. But they still needed Jesus. We think about uh, the eunuch of Acts uh, chapter 8, beginning in verse 26, what, he, what had he been doing? He was a worshiper of God already. He had been to Jerusalem to worship, was going back toward Ethiopia. When God sent Philip to intersect, to intercept his travels and teach him the gospel, why would God send him? He's already a good person. He's already worshiping. He's already into the scriptures but yet he needed uh, Jesus. Same idea with Acts 10, Cornelius. Acts 10, verse 2. This man, Cornelius, was also a devout person. He feared God. All of his house feared God. He gave generously. He prayed to God always. But God sent Peter to the house of Cornelius because they were still lost. Good people, but lost. Acts 16, verse 11. Lydia and the ladies with her out by the riverside near Philippi already in the habit of worship, already in the habit of study and devotion, and yet they needed Jesus. They needed his salvation. Acts 19, Paul runs into some disciples of John the Baptist, and they didn't know about Jesus and his baptism. And so they were baptized in the name of the Lord. But they had been following Jesus, or they had been following God. They had been following Old Testament. They had even been following the the mission of John the Baptist. They were good people, but they still needed uh, the Lord. Here are some facts to remember about everybody needing salvation. If, if good deeds can save us, which they cannot, and that means we can attain salvation on our own, if just being good, doing good deeds can, can save us, then that means we can attain salvation on our own. But here's an important idea. Here's an important fact of Scripture. We don't have the redemptive resources in us. We don't have the stuff of salvation in order to provide our own salvation. We don't have that in us. Jeremiah 10, 23 says... The way of man is not in himself. It is not in man who walks to direct his own steps. It's just not in us. Okay. Titus 3 verse 5. Titus 3 verse 5 says that it is not by works of righteousness which we did ourselves. But according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. But nonetheless it's not by us. If it's a good things and being a good person, then we'd be able to save ourselves, and that's just against 
what God's all about. And remember this fact also. If salvation comes by just being good, doing good things, that implies that God owes us something. It implies that somehow or another God is obligated to save us, which is furthest from the truth that something could ever be. What was God doing at the cross? What did God do at the cross? Was God paying off his debt to us? Is that what God is doing? Was God paying off his debt to us? No. He was paying off our debt. He was dying for our sins. He was taking on the consequence of sin himself so that we can have the hope of eternal life. And so second conviction this morning is everyone needs to be saved. Even good people. Especially good people. You see, God dealt with it this way. So he knew that if we could be convinced that good people need Jesus, it's obvious that the rest of the world needs Jesus as well. Third conviction about salvation is that the world needs to be told that about salvation in Christ. The world needs to be told about salvation in Christ. That's our third conviction. The world needs to be told. In, back to the Gospel of John, John records his short version of the Great Commission, John 20, 21. Here, here is John's recording of the Great Commission. It's, it's the shortest version of the Gospels, but it's powerful. John 20, 21. Jesus looked to his disciples. He said, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And we are expected to take up that charge. And Jesus has made it very possible for us to do this. First of all, he has shown us the dire consequences of not following him. John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish. Now this is the word perish. The word perish means to be destroyed. It, it means to be at a loss. It means to be lost. Okay. To perish. To perish. He's made it very possible for us to tell the world about salvation because he shows us the dire consequences of not following him. John 8, 21, Jesus says it like this. He says, if you die in your sins, then you cannot go where I am about to go. Please look at that, John 8, 21. If you die in your sins, you cannot go where I am about to go. In John 5, 14, Jesus had just healed a man who was uh, paralyzed. And he found the man later, John 5, 14. He says, look, you're whole. And then he said to the man, sin no more, lest a worse thing comes upon you. And this had to make an 
an impact on that man. There's a worse thing. The man had been sick all his life. He had been paralyzed all his life. Jesus letting us know, let him know, and the whole world know there's a worse thing than what happens to you in this life. There's a worse thing than being sick. There's a worse thing than, than, than facing death. And there is the afterlife. There, there is the consequence, the dire consequence of dying without Jesus. So Jesus makes it possible. But he also, he makes it easy for us to tell the world about salvation. He makes it easy. The same plan of salvation that, that we see in the life of Jesus is the same plan of salvation that we see in the book of Acts, which is the plan, same plan of salvation that is found in the epistles of Paul and Peter and others. It's the same plan. When you look at the great commission that Jesus gives, you can start in Mark 16, 16, He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. Okay. You can jump over to Luke 24, uh, 46, in, in 47, and notice that repentance and re remission of sins should be preached in Jesus' name beginning at Jerusalem. You've got, you got the responses that are required right there. You've got to believe. You've got to repent. You've got to confess. Okay? Jesus mentions confession in Matthew chapter 10, 32, and, and 33. And so when you look at the life of Jesus, you see that the plan of salvation is very clear. A person believes in the Lord after hearing uh, about the messages of the Lord and then he believes and then he, he repents. He, he turns his heart over to the Lord, turns away from the world. He confesses his faith in Jesus. He's immersed in water for, for the remission of sins. The same plan of salvation found in the life of Jesus and his teachings while he was here on this earth is found in the book of Acts. Is also found in the epistles. Okay. For example, in 1 Peter chapter 1, in verse 22, Peter said, Seeing then that you have purified your souls in your obedience to the truth unto the unfeigned love of the brethren, see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. And so these brethren already Christians, they had obeyed the truth. Part of that obedience to the truth Peter mentions, happens to mention in 1 Peter 3, 21, the light figure whereunto even baptism does, does also now save, save us, not the putting away the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God. Okay. So just to mention these things to show that Jesus makes it possible for us to tell the world about salvation. How does he do that? He shows us the dire consequences of not believing in him. And then he gives us, he, he makes it easy for us to understand he makes it easy for the world to understand what is expected of us as we come to the Lord. But he also gives us great assurance. Great assurance. We were looking this morning in Bible class how that when you take a stand for Jesus, you're going to meet adversity. And that's so true. That's so true. But Jesus gives us assurance. Matthew 5, 11 and 12. Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you uh, for my sake. Blessed are you, he said. Rejoice and be exceeding glad because great is your reward uh, in heaven. So he gives assurance that as we tell the world about salvation, you cannot lose. It's a win-win. Okay. If, you, if you teach someone the gospel 
and they receive it, that is a win. Okay. If you teach someone the gospel and they don't receive it, the Lord is still with you. If you teach someone the gospel and you lose your life in the process, then great is your reward in heaven. You see, going back to the days of Daniel, we have an if not clause, right? You remember that? Daniel 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They, they're not going to bow down and serve the gods of Nebuchadnezzar. They're not going to bow down and worship that golden image even if their lives depend on it and their lives did depend on it. Okay. And the king was furious, but he, he, he gave them another chance. If you look down to Daniel 3, 13 to 18, he gives them another chance. He says, now, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we're going to play the music again. Another time. Now, you can make all this right if you will just bow down when we play the music again. When you hear all the harps and flutes and so forth, when you hear that play, just, just bow down. They said to the king, King, there's no need going to that trouble. Okay? We're not going to bow down. We believe that our God is going to deliver, deliver us from this burning, fiery furnace. But if not, O king, Daniel 3, 18. If not, O king, we're still not going to bow down. But if not, we have an if not clause. They knew very well. Why were they willing to to share the good news? Why were they willing to stand up for, for Christ? It's because they had this if not clause. We've got it too. Okay. If the worst thing happens to us, at least the worst thing in our minds, the worst type of adversity happens to us as we're sharing the gospel, we, we're okay. In fact, we're, we're better than okay. We'll just be serving in a different realm and even a better, better, better realm than what we're in now. The question is, do we believe that? Our fourth conviction this morning, three, three and four convictions about salvation. First, Jesus is the only path to salvation. Secondly, everybody needs salvation. Third, the world needs to be told about salvation in Christ. And then our fourth conviction uh, this morning is the offer of salvation is for a limited time only. It's for a limited time only. Back to John, John 9, verse 4. Jesus says, We must work the works of Him that sent me while it is day. The night comes when no man can work. It's for a limited time only. Perhaps you have heard just the last few days about Labor Day sales, Labor Day bargains. And the consumer knows that this is just for at least what is being told the consumer is that this is only for a limited time. In fact, if you listen real close, you're never going to be able to get this bargain again no matter where you're at or how long you live. This is the only time you'll be able to get this bargain. We understand limited time only. It is so true when it comes to our spiritual matters. In Luke 13, 24 to 28, Jesus teaches us to strive to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Strive to enter that narrow door. He says, there's coming a time when the master of the house will get up, he will rise up and close that door, and many will be outside and they'll begin to knock, wanting to come in, but it will be too late. 
Luke 13, 24 to 28. It'll be too late. The master of the house one day is going to shut the door. And it's going to be too late. Now those, if you're, going, if you're looking at Luke 13, now those on the outside will say, but, but master, uh, we ate and we drank with you in your presence and you taught in our streets. Nevertheless, the master will say, I, I never knew you. I don't know where you're from. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. That's a, that's a stark reality. That's, that's something that ought to hit home to us. It won't work to try to really get serious about the Lord. It won't work. It's not going to work. Once the master of the house rises up and shuts the door, that door is shut forever. It's for a limited time only. But Lord, we went to the potluck meals. Lord, we went to the eatings. Lord, we heard your sermons. It won't matter. It won't matter. Did you do my will? Were you convicted about salvation? Did you seek to spread the word about salvation? That's what's going to matter when that door is shut. Right now, it's the grace period. This is a grace period. In fact, Revelation 2.21 Jesus to the church at Thyatira. There was a woman there. They called her Jezebel. But she was all into fornication. The Lord says, I've given her space to repent and she's not repenting. You see, this grace period that we're living in now, this is the time. This is, this is, when, you, this is when you react. This is when you get it done. There's a time coming when the door will be shut. It ought to make an impact on us. It makes an impact on Satan. Did you know that? This will be our last verse of the morning, but Revelation 12 needs to be considered. And I'm going to turn over there. Revelation 12. 10 through 12. Revelation 12 begins talking about Satan and who he is. But if you let your eyes go on down to verses 10 to 12, verse 12 especially. Woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath. You see that? Revelation 12, verse 12. Because he knows that his time is short. Did I read that right? Yep. The devil is here and he is furious. He has great wrath. He is very, very busy. Greatest missionary we got on earth is the devil. In the wrong way, but it's Satan. Why is he working so ferociously? Because he knows his time is short. And in some ways he's got more sense than we do. Because we deceive ourselves. And so these four convictions, it can help with doubt. If you want to delete your doubt, go back to these four convictions about salvation. Jesus is the only way. Everyone needs his salvation. 
The world needs to be told about this salvation, and it is for a limited time only. Let's stand and sing, and let's encourage one another to come home to our Lord right now. Let's all stand and sing, brother.